Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who brought to him, who owed him ten thousand talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, I hope you're all ready for some Deuteronomy, right? That's where we're going next, but we're not going there today. Easter will be next week, and then Deuteronomy will be after that. So you can be reading Deuteronomy. I don't remember. There's a lot of chapters there. It'll take you a little while. It's my privilege today, though, to introduce to some special friends of ours. Believe it or not, we've been friends, Laura and I, with Derek and Leah for almost 20 years. We're going on 20 years. And the missions committee has invited Derek and Leah and their family to come share with us about the ministry they're involved in, which is a boys' ranch in Washington State called the Flying H Youth Ranch, and, and they'll fill us in on what they do there what the Flying H is about. There's some material in the back for your further reflection. We're going to have a potluck afterwards if you can stay for that and visit with Derek and Leah a little further. And we'll have opportunity to interact with them there and then hopefully to support them, to partner with them, come alongside of them in their ministry and what the Flying H is doing up there. So if Derek, Leah, if you guys would bring your family up here. Derek will introduce his family, and then he's going to share about their ministry and then share from the Word with us today. Did I forget anything I was supposed to say? Thank you guys for being here. It's fun to have you. So, Derek, I'll let you take it over from here. 
Well, yes, we are the Pack family, and this is my wife, Leah, and our five children. And Lysha is our oldest. He's 12. Silas is 10. He's our second. Selah is number three. You got to, like, face the crowd. There you go. She will be, how old this month? Eight. She's going to be eight this month. And Jojo is six, Joanna. And then Abel is uh, five years old. So um, we get to serve and work together up in Natchez, Washington. Leah homeschools all of them uh, while also serving. I'll talk a little bit more about what we do and everything, but this is, this is our family. So, yeah. It's good. <laughs> uh, if you can't tell, we don't do this part a lot, so <laughs> we're, we're still figuring out how to do that. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really so excited to be here. I've been able to attend a couple times throughout the years, um, back into about 20 years, really? Oh, my word. That means we're getting old. Well, John's getting old. <laughs> I'm just following right behind um, oh, it's, it's been a delight to be able to, um, to know the King family and all its, uh, extensions here. Um, Brian, Kathy, we still have somewhere in our house hanging, I think, the thing you guys made for our wedding. Um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We still remember you guys when we see that. And, uh, and it's just, it's a pleasure to have, uh, ties that go back all the way back to Bible college where, um, John and I and Laura and Leah met and started our relationship. John and I dove into business and got to know each other deeper, and that way we wanted an excuse to talk to each other more regularly after Bible college, and so we started a business, and it's been fun to do that together. But um, uh, yeah, that's today uh, I, I'm really excited just to be able to share about where God called us um, about two and a half years ago. We were down in Northern California. Uh, I was... Uh, Reading Native, and that's where we went to Bible College and met, but I grew up there. My wife was from the East Coast. She came back, met at Bible College, and um, we, uh, when uh, God, we felt God, after Bible College, wanted us to stay in the area and stay in um, local church ministry and then dive into, um, my seminary was diving into the public work world, and so I went and had to put in a lot of a lot of work and in, in, in a few different jobs and things there, but all the while serving in local church, uh, in music ministries, and preaching and teaching, uh, and serving on the elder board at my church, and kind of thought that was the direction God had for us, that we would go, um, and never thought that we would be working. In fact, I think at one point I even swore I wouldn't be working with teenagers, especially teenagers that were in crisis and uh, were dealing with a lot of heavy issues. Um, I didn't think, I, I think I even remember myself saying, that's someone else's calling for sure, not mine. And you, you all know, be careful about saying that kind of stuff. Uh, God, in 2019, uh, just to, I won't go through all that, but he was slowly uprooting us. We didn't know to where and to what. And God put on our heart Flying H Youth Ranch. And we had supported a couple other friends from Bible College that had been serving up there a couple years. And when they said, we need help, will you pray about it? We prayed about it, and God said, go help. So we ended up up there. And um, and it's just been incredible to see um, how much of a, a glove fit ministry for our family it's been. Um, what is the Flying H Youth Ranch? It's uh, 
it's been around for 60 years. It's up in Natchez, Washington, which you probably don't know of. Uh, some of you might know where Yakima is. It's about half hour outside of Yakima. If that's still vague to you, if you put a pin right in the middle of Washington, you're pretty close. So it's right there, kind of on the break between eastern and western Washington. We don't get all the tons of rain and wet. We don't get all the cold. We're kind of right in the sweet spot in the middle. Uh, but the ranch has been there 60 years, and it was started by a man named Reverend Hires, who didn't have a lot of money uh, and a lot, even a lot of plan, but he had a lot of faith, and he had a big heart. And he wanted to start uh, a ranch for troubled teens. And it's actually shaped into a few different directions over 60 years, as you can imagine. Uh, started as kind of a, a state-funded public, uh, and it ended up being a private boarding school uh, ACSI accredited high school now, um, and uh, fast forward to today, and, and it's still going on. One of the things that we felt excited about when we went up there was the idea that it's each generation that goes through, there's new staff that come in, and new families, and, um, and we have, as you saw, five children, but there's other staff families with kids our age. And um, to be able to, to partner with other families and dream of what we want the ranch to be for the next generations is kind of what we were excited about when we got up there. So um, that, is, that is a lot where it's at. Uh, boys come to us from a lot of different backgrounds. They come from um, usually just a family that needs help. Um, I mean, always it's that, of course. But uh, that, that can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's a single mother that's trying to raise uh, a teenager on her own and, and is in overhead and needs help. Sometimes it's a parent that adopted uh, and maybe even adopted multiple siblings at the same time, and they need help. And they, they're, they're crying out, hey, is there resources out there? Is there something that we can, that someone that can come alongside us and work with us as we fulfill what we feel God has put on our heart? And a Flying H exists to kind of come alongside and, and uh, work with that. So um, boys will come for an 18-month stay at the Flying H. Sometimes it's longer. We actually have a few boys that are over 18 months right now. And um, they're in high school. They get back on track educationally. Um, they get to do a lot of program things. We do a lot of, uh, from an outside, if you guys go watch our YouTube videos or something, it looks like we have fun all the time. The boys say, those are a lie. Uh, cause <laughs> they say that's like 10% of the time. I said, yeah, it's a fun 10%. Uh, we do backpacking and, and rafting and fishing trips and things with them that, uh, they get to see some really, really neat areas of the world. Uh, well, up there in Washington, but still very beautiful areas. But throughout the year, um, the day-to-day grind is hard work. It's a ranch. It's a working ranch. We have cattle. We have hay. Um, we have equipment that breaks. We have wood that needs splitting and lots of maintenance on a 500-acre ranch. And we get to take these boys and give them, hopefully, a little bit more work ethic and get them kind of back out and uh, get their eyes off themselves and ultimately on Christ and their king. And uh, while they're there, they get quite a bit of uh, Bible education in a very concentrated dosage. Each of us as staff are looking for every single uh, teachable moment we can look for and applying it to Scripture. And they get um, morning and evening devotions every day, and they go to church with us on Sundays, and they're in Bible class. And so they get this uh, quite a high dosage of Scripture and just trying to help kind of detox them from their environments and the world that they're in. What that does produce, uh, just to be blunt, 
is a higher accountability. And at times, uh, sometimes I feel like it looks like that higher accountability is like life accelerated. When they, if they walk out of there rejecting, they reject hard. And when they accept, they accept all in. Uh, it, it raises the stakes in many ways as uh, there's this accountability to the word of God. And we tell them that when we come in. Sorry, but we're, we're playing a, a game with you. Not a game, but we are, we are investing scripture in you. And it will it'll raise the accountability that you have, you're going to be accountable to God for. Not all of them like that. Most of them don't. But when they submit to it and they turn to it, it's beautiful. So that's, that's a very high-level, 20,000-foot overview. I'd love to share more, and I will, um, kind of even as I go along. But feel free to ask questions as we go along. Um, how can Bridgeport get involved is kind of some of the question that maybe you guys uh, are wondering. Number one, and I don't mean this in any other way, number one is prayer. Like, I stand before you here today asking for prayer. It's a spiritual warfare uh, on a level that, like, I, I've never been involved in in my life. Um, it's thrilling at times, but it is exhausting. And we are short-staffed. We're, we're down. We lost a few staff families last year, had, ended up leaving or retiring, just had been there a long time. And we need more staff. So pray for us because we're tired and we, we wear down. Um, it's, an exciting, it's an exciting fight. Uh, and the other staff families that are working with us, we feel like brothers in arms, but it's wearying. Um, pray for the boys and their families, second off. Uh, this is, again, spiritual warfare at a very intense level. Uh, the radical swings to, I'm all in for Jesus, to like just throwing chairs and destroying things. Like It's sometimes a day-to-day. Uh, even one of the boys, literally two days ago, I was sitting on the picnic bench with him, and he was having a good day. I said, so it's an even day. Uh, like yesterday was bad. Is tomorrow going to be bad? And it was as much as we kind of <laughs> about that, like it was literal. Like he was uh, back and forth. Like I'm all in for Jesus. I'm not in these emotional swings and stuff. Uh, it's spiritual warfare each day. And and we need we need prayer for the boys. We need prayer for us as staff. And we need prayer for their families. I know this is always the part that you put at the end of the sermon, but uh, I think it's good kind of get you guys uh, thinking of this, because I want this to be the first priority as I stand before you guys and get to partner with you guys as a as a family. Um, prayer is what we need. Uh, there are opportunities, and we'll maybe if you guys are interested, we'll see. Um, John and I are talking about uh, some opportunities for some work crews and some projects. If you guys want to send a team up there, there's always work to do. Um, I'm in charge of facilities management and maintenance around the property, and it's a lot. Um, and we're always looking for teams to come up and help and, and work out. But it's also the number one way for you guys to just see it. I love having people be able to come up and share and, and see what we're doing. And it's hard to put in words until you're there. So that's, that's something as well. There are always financial um, projects that you guys can give specifically to that um, we'll be working with you guys. And if there's something that, like some big thing, like our walk-ins are dying or there's uh, a roofing project coming up. Like those are things that can be given to, uh, and then financially supporting us as staff is is another thing. Um, we the boys their tuition does not go to us as staff. That's uh, one way that we can keep tuition for the boys very low, lower than most programs like this. So we as staff raise our own support, and we come um, completely externally supported, and that's where uh, we get money to be able to survive. So that's another way. 
And the last way I would say is just spreading the word to other families that you may know, or maybe you guys even some in here have needs. Um, the We'd love to talk to you. And that's kind of, we haven't really done a lot of advertising for the ministry. Uh, we don't really feel we needed to. We almost always have a waiting list. We only take about 12 to 15 boys at a time, and they're always kind of on a rotating cycle of new ones coming in and others leaving. So, but if uh, this is this is a lot how it goes. Is if you guys know a family's in need, um, send them our way. Give, give us a call, and, and we'll tell you see if it's something that we can help with. Um, so that's kind of a quick quick overview of what the ministry is. It's too much to give super fast, but um, I'm going to dive kind of now cycle back through a lot of it. And uh, so that we can also get into the word here, because uh, you're probably thinking, is he ever going to actually preach from the word of God or just talk about his ministry? So we'll, uh, we'll do that. But let me just pray as we move forward and, and open up the word of God. Father, I thank you for, um, for your heart that we see throughout scripture, the account of you interacting, God. You didn't leave us as broken and fallen humans to try to figure this out especially when it was a, a battle and an uphill climb we could never make. You stepped down in, you interacted, you gave us law, you gave us prophets, you gave us your son uh, to redeem us. And I thank you so much for that, God. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And even today on Palm Sunday, as we turn and we look towards um, the hill you, you climbed for us, God, uh, we just thank you. It's a miraculous plan that no one no one could have seen or dreamed um, or even dared to ask for, and yet you did it freely, and so thank you. Uh, we rest in that salvation today and in the hope we have of eternal life. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so kind of going back into uh, more of our story, but also kind of getting up there. When we were first thinking about, um, when I said really briefly, God was uprooting us and and we didn't know exactly where Leah and I we were we were serving in in church ministry and um and loving that just so you guys know like that wasn't like a negative thing like we loved that we really thought that's where God wanted us but there was this kind of growing nagging feeling for us and just hear that this is where we were so this is our story of this there was too much of a divide between us and the broken I grew up in a Christian family. Leah grew up in a Christian family. Um, and, and I would even stand in pulpits and preach and talk about the need to go to the broken, like go reach the lost. And there was just this gap that, I, please hear me, like I worked in the public work world. I saw that as my mission field. I would try to evangelize those I work with. But it was, for me, it was difficult because you work with, you know, 20 people, and you might say, I'm going to hit every one of them, and in five years, you've shared the gospel with all of them, but you still got a job to do. Like, you, you still got, you got work to do, and it was kind of like, okay, that's nice. Thank you for sharing your truth. Let's get back to work, and that was discouraging for me. I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to get closer, but I also, if I'm honest, was a little scared of it. Like, what does that really mean? And maybe this gap here, maybe God has just called me to be the one that encourages people who are gifted with that gift to go to the broken. Does that sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> I'm not proud of that, by the way. Like, that's not a, that's not a good place to be. Um, to feel that you should be the one teaching others to use their gifts to do what Jesus called us all to do. Um, and so, hence, a lot of the unrest, I think, going on in my heart was coming from that. So we started this 
and we felt God like bring us closer to the broken, whatever that means. Um, bring us near into that. And, and the other side, too, that I was wrestling through a lot was wanting to be near to the heart of God. Uh, just, just feeling again. And, and, and as I look back, I see how those two things were uh, linked. But in my mind, they were two separate things. Um, to you guys, it's probably all obvious. Well, obviously, you get close to the broken. You're going to get near to the heart of God. But at the time, they were kind of two different challenges for me. And, and looking at that and, and those desires, and there were many other things, like we wanted to be involved in ministry where the two of us could serve uh, together with our family, that they could uh, see us work alongside us. And, and when we saw the Flying H and saw the chance for our family to live there, to be all in, involved, it, it, a ministry that's all immersive, it was very attractive to us. Like, I'm not going to denied that that was really neat and there was there was other things that we felt um with that but these two things being near to the broken and near to the heart of god were were the ones that i really kind of wanted to talk about today um we really didn't know what it was going to be like um when we first started there in october of 2020 i remember i feel like it was the first or second week one of the boys ramped up is what we say when they kind of they get off on something and this boy was destroying things and threatening harm to himself and it was like a, a all hands on deck like defcon 5 uh, here we go and i remember just that adrenaline surging through me and thinking okay this, this is what this is what we were called to okay here we go like uh we're we're called to the broken and oh boy um and just <laughs> i remember the fear of that and um and and just the first time feeling that emotional and physical strain that that comes with that um but as we walked alongside these boys, we saw so much more. It was so much more than just that, just being there for a moment, a ramp up, a, uh, a, a time when a boy is acting out, so to say. And we saw so much more. It's not just walking alongside these boys. It's walking alongside their parents. Um, the parents are often uh, struggling. They've, uh, and, and that can come from a, a variety of different backgrounds. They would come from sometimes just being a uh, we call like a pioneer Christian. They didn't have a godly family or a legacy that they came from. They're the first one. Uh, I had thought about asking for a show of hands. I'm not going to uh, because I, I, that's, that's you guys. But uh, I'm sure many of you in here are pioneer Christians, and I salute you. To be able to start, to be able to, to be the first in your family to charge forward, to say, I'm all in for Christ even if no one else goes with me, is is a noble task, but it's hard. And if you're here today, I assume that means you have a family around you. But there are so many out there that don't. And they have come to Christ even. They might have tried church, and they don't know how to do this. And they need us. They need a family to come alongside. Um, so some of, sometimes that's the story. And it, there's many stories, but walking alongside them is diving into that brokenness. Uh, it's really hard to put into words what life is like with the boys as far as walking alongside them. Um, we see them when they come, often resisting Christ. They might profess him. They might say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then you push hard. You're like, well, what's that mean? Well, uh, my parents were Christian. Or it's something very, uh, even less than that. Um, one one boy that I was recently mentoring said, what does it mean to be a Christian? I opened the Bible and it made sense to me. Oh, okay. Anything else? No, I think I'm a Christian now. Like, well, okay. Like, God is starting to, let's talk. Uh, and, 
it starts a good conversation. But we see them coming in often, once you push hard enough, they're resisting Christ pretty heavily. We see them convicted. They get convicted of their sin. They feel lost, broken, destitute. They get frustrated. We see them come to the end of themselves. We see them where they just say, like, I can't do this on my own. And then often we see them come to Christ and find new life. And that's usually where, as a missionary visiting a church, like, that's usually where you guys want the story to stop. That's where I would want the story to stop. We see them get saved and get baptized. But then we also see them fall. And they walk backwards. And they repeat the cycle over and over and over. And the boy that was on fire for Christ the next month is saying, actually, I'm not sure. I tried God and he's not helping me. This isn't pretty, like guys. This isn't, this isn't like how I want it to look. I want it to be this very linear story because that's how I wanted it to go. But it's, it's gritty and it's messy and it's not tidy. These boys struggle and they go through, they come, they say, I, I want God to give me freedom from my sin. But what they really mean is, I just want to stop feeling bad. I don't really want to go into the heart issues. And if you push too hard, then actually I'm out. And so we push hard. (laughs) And we push hard. And we keep letting the gospel go deeper and deeper, even when they resist. And this is one of the benefits that comes with a program that's 18 months long or longer. Is It's not just a quick share the gospel, pray a prayer, and now you're saved. Next, it's a now let's walk through this. We see the parable of the sower being lived out. And we see some of those boys turn and they produce the fruit. They're turning to their fellow man and saying, no, come along, come along. In fact, the program wouldn't exist if that wasn't there. I don't think we could successfully do this staff. When the boys turn to Christ, get excited, get fired up, and then say, come along with me, the other boy listens to his peer where you're like, the staff, I just told you that. And and the boy's going, well, but he makes sense because <laughs> he's my age and He's cool. Um, but it's, I don't care, like, right? It's like Paul said, as long as the gospel is preached. Um, and so we see this, and we see them struggle through Scripture. We see them struggle through obeying Scripture um, of thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good, and they stop reading their Bible, and they fall. Um, <clears throat> we see them go through times of pure excitement, like I said, as they lead others to Christ, um, we see parents who are called to adopt, who are those spiritual pioneers sometimes. We see lots of different backgrounds, um, and they're just struggling to say, well, God, what, what next? Like, I, I felt your calling up to the point of, of adopting, or uh, I felt your calling up to when you saved me and said, raise this child, but now what? And they feel that desolation of, of where's God now? Where, where, am I, where is he when I'm in the valley? And so we walk alongside these parents. And that's, like I said, it's hard to try to pack this all into one message to, to share what this is like. Um, but that's it. And, and the main thing I want you guys to know is just, um, it's, it's not tidy. It's not clean. It's, it's messy. Um, but what I want to share with you guys and encourage you towards is this second part, which is finding the heart of God. If you guys are in here and you're in a place where you're saying, I want to go deeper with the heart of God. I feel like my relationship with him has just grown stagnant. I feel like uh, like maybe he's even abandoned me, and I'm not sure where he's at right now. Um, I have an exhortation for you, and that's what this is going to be about. You need to find where God's heart is. 
get excited about the things he's excited about and dive in. But the warning is, it's probably going to be messy. It's not going to be clean and tidy. There's a very real reason why Jesus came down and walked our soil and his feet got dirty. And there's a lot more packed into that that passage where he is washing the disciples' feet than maybe most of us ponder. Ponder it this week. It's a great week to do it as we look at uh, Resurrection Week and, and everything that leads up through Passion Week. Um, but if you are there, if you're feeling like, I, I need the heart of God, I feel like uh, lost or I don't feel close to him, this is a good start. Right? And, and some of the things, I'm, I was going to share just kind of two things, but probably for the sake of time, I'll, I'll go to one. Um, two things in Scripture that we have come um, to find God's heart in, are finding God's. I, I do not in any way stand here saying that I have attained it or anywhere close. Like if, if you knew my own private walk with God and the struggles that I'm struggling with, you, it would be a whole different story. Like, please understand, I'm struggling through this stuff still. But I am finding God's heart as I do. And I am finding where he walks, and I'm finding joy in what he finds joy, and we as a family are as well. Um, one of them, and I'll just basically kind of mention this by title and a couple scriptures, um, is the site of adoption, God's heart to be a father to the fatherless, and how far-reaching that is. Um, with these boys, many of them, it, I didn't realize how much is packed into that, and I'm still discovering it. How many different, um, if you could say, sub-points or double-clicks are underneath that that heading of God being a father to the fatherless. Um, but he says, Psalm 68, 5, that he is a father to the fathers, a defender of widows. God is in his holy dwelling. And Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. These are two areas, guys, where God's heart is. And if you want to know God's heart, well, it's that simple. It's not very complicated. Find Find an area that he cares about. Now, maybe... You're thinking, well, does that mean I need to adopt? No, not necessarily. Maybe, if God's saying that, go for it. Um, There's a lot more to it, though. Uh, And some of the other aspects we've seen, like we said, is I think, honestly, pioneer Christians, this is probably stretching it to some of you guys, but pioneer Christians, I really believe, is, is a father to the fatherless support ministry. If you guys see someone who is a new believer, who doesn't have parents and grandparents walking alongside them, Go be a father to the fatherless. Go be a parent to the parentless. Call it what you want, but they need a spiritual parent. And God's heart is there. He's walking there. It could very well be a single parent who's trying to raise a child who is saying, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. Like, dive in, help, walk alongside. Um, When we're there working at the ranch, many of these boys, they didn't have a good father. They had an abusive father. Some of them, they're trying to hide from their birth father. Mom is changing addresses all the time while she's trying to raise his son who's also rebelling at home. Um, they need father figures. But it's not just men. Like, I really do, I, like, I think you can stretch that even to a parent to the parentless. Like, any time you see that gap in the design that God has for a home and for a family, and it's missing, as a church, dive in. It might be messy, guys. There might be some, some aspects of that you say, well, I'm not prepared for this. Yep. That's, unfortunately, that's where God leads us, is into those spots. Why? So that we rely on him. 
so that at the end of the day, we say it was his strength that carried us through. That is one of them. The other one, and this is uh, the one that I was going to sp- spend most of my time on, and then I, I've talked for most of this time already, but was God's heart for reconciliation. Um, our, uh, if you guys turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we'll go to the text that we had read earlier, Matthew 17, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when I think 2 Corinthians 5, I, I default to verse 21, um, especially around Easter as we look at that and Christ becoming sin for us, even though he knew no sin. But the whole heart of Paul's passage ahead of that, um, starting really in verse 11 and then carrying on even into chapter 6, is a bigger picture. Christ becoming sin is one verse in the middle of a bigger topic. And it all rests around... Um, Verse 17, um, I'm sorry, verse 18. Um, I'm going to start at verse 17, though. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to us, us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Right? This, this idea of being reconciled to God, it's really at the core of, of Easter, of Palm Sunday, of everything that we celebrate this time of year. We would have no... Sorry, it's too obvious here, but we would have no celebration. We would not be ramping up and singing songs and even sitting in this room together if we were not reconciled to God. Obviously, right? But God doesn't say that's the end of the story. He entrusts to us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the verse that we have. I think it's actually on our poster back there. We put it all over because this is, as Flying H, this is what we're called to. And it's not just Flying H. Flying H is like a specialized version of this, but every one of you guys are included in this call. You are called to reconciliation. We're talking about finding God's heart. God's heart is for reconciliation. And it's actually very, very direct and unapologetically bold in the way that God calls us towards that. And that's some of what we're going to look here. He says, this is the ministry that we're entrusted to, period. There's no wiggling out of it. I, I feel that many of us look at something like reconciliation or forgiveness and think of that as being something that's for a super Christian, a mature Christian. But the more and more that I look at these passages, and again, Matthew 4, uh, 18 that we're going to look at and a few others, I see that it's less for the mature believer And this is 101. This is kindergarten Christianity. You can't move past this. You cannot hold on to bitterness and unreconciliation. It's non-optional as a Christian. And that's what I see in these passages. And this is, is again, at times where it gets a lot more messy. Paul talked about um, the urgency of this. In verse 14, he said, um, the love of Christ controls us. Some pass, or some translations say constrains us um, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all and all, thus 
all have died. It constrains him. It controls him. Romans 1, he had the same kind of urgency when he talked about the gospel. I must preach the gospel. Like, do you feel that same urgency? Do you feel that? The urgency for reconciliation. And friends, it's not just back to God. That is at the core of it. But it's how we live our lives. It's in our own relationships. It's in the gospel that we present when we live out life together. Do you feel the same urgency? This is where God's heart is. This is where he's walking. Um, Let's go ahead and turn over to Matthew 18. Uh, To close, I suppose. That time went fast. Um, Just so we're clear, I don't actually like preaching on this text. (laughs) It makes me very uncomfortable. Um, I preached on this text last year, though, at at Resolve, which is a time when we have parents, they actually come to the ranch and spend time with the boys, and we have um, some times where we, we share and we talk together. And so we went through this with parents and boys, and, and it's a very difficult passage to go through with them. Um, but it's, it makes me squirm a little bit. Um, well, just real brief setting, we've already read it, so I'm not going to read through every verse again for the sake of time. But kind of some snapshots here. Peter seems to have been offended by someone. Uh, he wants to know how many times he should keep forgiving them. Okay? Um, I don't know why. I don't know if you're like me. But for some reason, when I read this of Peter, I just assume the offense was really petty. Like someone like keeps stealing my napkin or something. And, and he's like, do I have to keep forgiving him? I don't know why we, we go there. I don't know. Anyone else? Do you guys just kind of assume it was petty? I, okay, I'm the only one. <clears throat> or did you guys not raise your hands here? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so that's bad, bad worship joke. Um, like, so, like, we, we have to just be careful about that. We don't, we don't know if, uh, if this, this offense was serious, uh, little, big, and, and I think it's intentionally vague so that none of us get into that comparison game, that we don't go like, well, Peter's offense was little, but mine is big. Like, God leaves no wiggle room. So just, that's the starting place here. You guys need to understand that. Um, there's, there's, you can fill in whatever your offense is, from the least thing in your mind to the greatest. Luke 17, 3-4, parallel passage to this. We don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. It says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Period. The end. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times again, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And you guys know 70 times 7 isn't actually you're keeping track. Like, like, oh, just hit the limit. That's it. I'm done. Like, it's not that. Uh, the 7 is symbolic of this doesn't end. Like, you keep forgiving. I want you guys to think through that, maybe even to one of those great offenses, and picture the person in your mind right now that you're struggling with bitterness or unforgiveness with and saying, in s- 7 times in one day, they do the same thing? Really? Like, shouldn't I just kind of like maybe give them some space and we'll talk tomorrow? But this just keeps hitting. I forgive you. 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 Really? You must. Jesus said it. I didn't argue with him. Forgiveness is not an option. The parable that's shared here, which uh, I'll kind of just briefly go through here, but... Um, we read it already, like I said. 
The master is settling accounts with his servants. Does the master have the right to do this? He's the one owed. Yes. The answer is yes. He has the right to settle accounts. If you are the one lending money, you have the right to call the debt. That's Sorry, modern America, but that actually is... That's fine. That's normal. He has the right. But you guys should remember, the master is the one that has the right. Put that a pin in that. This guy owes him 10,000 talents. A um, lot of different math you could do, but from what I could see... Uh, this work, a talent of gold is probably around $2.4 million, so it's about $24 billion. $24 billion. Let that kind of settle in. Uh, uh, some scholars will say, uh, if you just look at a year's labor, it's about 200,000 years worth of labor. The point, this is like off the charts. <laughs> right? So this guy owes a ton of money. Um, it's kind of like a quick like side thing, but was this guy wrong to be in debt that much? <laughs> Yes, Proverbs says, like, you're not supposed to be lending and borrowing like that. Like, this is ridiculous. How did you get $24 billion in debt? What did you do? Like, was he embezzling? Was he money laundering or just really bad at investment? I don't know. Uh, And then we look at the master and say, was he just stupid? Like, how could he keep lending? But I want your mind to go there. Like, I want you to think, this is, there's no way I would lend a guy a million dollars when it doesn't look like he's good with it. And yet the master kept lending and lending. He allowed him to accrue this. You guys are mature Christians. You can get there, right? The application of, of the, the father and the grace he extends us. He lends, he lends, he lends. He lends life. He lends a breath, rain on our crops. He, he lends, he lends. And he knew He knew he would squander it. God knows we'll squander most of what he lends us. And he lends. Uh, So you fast forward, this guy is like, he's in over his head, he's going to go to jail. And then the master forgives him. Out of pity for him, he forgives him. Wipes out. The guy goes outside, finds a guy that owes him probably on the same accounting around 20 to 30,000. Okay? Might seem like a lot until you look at 30 billion, 24 billion dollars. Uh, about 100 days wages compared to 200,000 years of wages, okay? So perspective here. He strangles this guy, says, you better pay me back immediately. Um, master servants hear about it, tattle, he gets thrown in jail. Master recalls the $24 billion debt, okay? It's not a very nice story. Remember who Jesus is answering here, Peter. Like Peter just said, should I keep forgiving? Yeah, and if you don't, this is what happens. It's severe. And as a teacher, I want to stand up here and soften this for you. I want to tell you now, let's break this down and let's look at what it actually meant and was he talking about hell and was this talking about rewards? And I'm not going to do any of that. And the reason why, for today, Jesus didn't. I want you guys, I mean, this is always, this is always my goal as a teacher, is I want you to be able to read the Bible like you read the Bible. When you read this and you get to the end of it and you see this like really awkward so you must and you go, uh, wait, what? If I don't, what's going to happen? You guys remember at the end of um, the Lord's Prayer, he says you must forgive, otherwise the Heavenly Father will not forgive your debts. I know this has kind of all kinds, there's probably really good theological answers to this, so please hear me on that. 
I'm not going there because I, I feel that at the core of this, this is not what Jesus was teaching. Our intended walk away, Peter's walk away, take away from this was, don't you dare. It's non-optional. 2 Corinthians 5, God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. When we look at hard relationships and things, and we feel offended to the degree where we say, yeah, but God, don't you dare. And please understand, I realize that there is a depth of this going on in some of your hearts that you say, you're shutting down right now. And if it's not you, you know someone who's shutting down. I I understand that. But this is at the very core of the gospel. And that's why Jesus, I believe, was very unapologetic about laying down severe lines like this is because the whole gospel falls apart if we cannot demonstrate forgiveness and reconciliation to each other. It it all falls apart. And the irony is that we'll look at a passage like this and we'll debate about, what's he mean? Like, can I lose my salvation? When we have bitterness in our heart. Jesus wanted us to address that first and foremost to the point where there is no room for us. Conclusion of this, because we have to wrap it up here. Um, If you want to know the heart of God, start looking at things that he is passionate about. Father to the fatherless, it's one. Reconciliation, it's kind of 101. It's at the core. If you you have unreconciled hurt, if you have relationships that have not been healed, Jesus said, lay your gift at the altar. Don't even come to God until you deal with it. Go deal with it. Do it today. Don't make an excuse. Make that phone call. Get it over with. Be reconciled because the very gospel is rooted on that. Don't, being blunt, I realize, but don't be the wicked servant in this parable. Don't be the one that says, well, he owes me $30,000. That's a lot. He owes me a forgiveness for what he did to me. You don't realize what she did. You don't realize what he took from me. Do you realize your debt? Do you realize how much 200,000 years of labor is? Do you realize what you are forgiven? Our sin built up a debt that we could not pay, guys. And God mercifully let it all go on the cross. How could you? How could you hold on to that? This is part of what we're doing at Flying H. We're working with parents. We're working with boys. When they come to Christ, they've got to let go. And often, frankly, the battle that I was fighting Friday before coming here uh, was a heated fight about forgiving my mom who is a meth addict and destroyed my life. And she's sitting right here, by the way, as he's yelling at her. I cannot forgive her. I will not forgive her. She's a horrible person. You destroyed everything in my life and you need to pay. It's where it's messy. It's gritty. And she's saying, I'm trying to change. I've given my life to Christ. I'm trying to be a new person, but you've got to let me. And there's these this really gritty, hard, it's got to be real. The gospel has to be real. It has to be in this because there's nothing else. So I wanted to pass that to you guys. 
And I wanted to encourage you guys, if you want to know the heart of God, these are two things that I have found, we have found up at Flying H that he's passionate about. They're not the only two. There's many other things. Read through the Psalms, read through the Proverbs. He's very passionate about many other things. And if you want to find something else, sure. But if your life, uh, just, I'll just offend you one more time here. If your life isn't in some way dealing with the messy, might want to evaluate some stuff because it's where God walks. He walks through that. He walks down in the dust. He walks down in the dirt. It splatters up on him. He takes it to the cross. And then he says, come follow me. And that's our calling. Let me pray, and then I think we're going to have another song to close out. Father, we would be completely destitute without that forgiveness. There's no way in 200,000 years, in a billion years, we could pay it back. And for you to just wipe it clean. Thank you. God, uh, all the stuff that I hold on to, that we hold on to, it, it looks so small when we look at that. So we lay it at your feet. We ask that um, your son would, would strengthen us, that your spirit would come alongside us. When we say, when we look at that situation, say, I just don't think I can, uh, let us hear your voice that, that smiles and says, I know. So let's do it together. We lay this at your feet, God, and we pray that you would give us your heart as we walk alongside those that are hurting, that are broken, uh, that need your love extended to them. Give us your heart, we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.